today we are wrapping up our sermon series, Grow On. Grow On. And we've been tackling this since Easter. So if you can remember all the way back to Easter Sunday, and if this is your first time with us, um, don't worry. You're coming in at the end of the movie, but that's okay. You're still going to be able to understand what's going on here. Um, And so during the course of this message series, we've been looking at how Jesus all along was preparing those who were following him for the time that he was going to leave them. That he trained these disciples, he trained a whole bunch of people, and he was preparing them for a time that he knew he was not going to be with them, even after the crucifixion, even after the resurrection, that there would be a time that he would be like, tag, you're it, it's your turn, it's your turn to bring the hope and the message of the gospel and good news and share that with all of the world. And so during this series, we've been talking about the groups of people who came around Jesus. And it kind of looks like this. This is kind of the diagram we've been following of how during Jesus' ministry, there, were, there was the crowd, you know, the people that were there and interested in kind of leaning in, wanting to know. They showed up to the miracles, right? The feeding of the 5,000 people that who were being cured of all kinds of ailments. Uh, the crowd kind of wants something out of Jesus in a way, and that's not necessarily a bad place to start. But then we have another inward group that's kind of a little bit closer. That's the followers, the followers. And these are people that more so make a commitment, that not, they just don't turn up once, but they come back again and again to see what this Jesus is about, listening to his teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount. Then we have another circle, the disciples, the 12 who were personally invited to follow Jesus for three years and not just learn from him as he was speaking, but everyday life, kind of the life-on-life kind of discipleship. They saw how Jesus acted and what he did, how he walked, how he talked, how he treated people. But then even closer, we have the leaders, the three, the three out of those disciples who were chosen to be even closer to Jesus. And these were people that later became leaders in the early church and had the task of leading the church and discipling others. And so you kind of see these different four cohorts who came around Jesus. And the thing is, wherever we are, we can kind of match ourselves up with kind of one of these places. You know, maybe you're in the crowd, you're trying to figure things out, you're exploring. You know, maybe you've been a a long-term disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've been stepped into leadership, you're discipling others, you know, all the way across the board. But the thing is, Jesus didn't care where you were, but he challenged people to grow. He didn't want you to stay where you are. But no matter where you are and where you are in your journey, what we call it's kind of a journey, a spiritual journey of discipleship, um, there is something true about the Christian life. And that is that at one point or another, you will hit a wall. You will hit a wall. There will be a season of faith in which you feel stuck. Consider the story, just to illustrate this, consider a story of a young girl named Agnes. She was on fire for God. And one day she wrote in her journal, she said these words. She said, my soul at present is in perfect peace and joy. Have you ever been there? Like that mountaintop experience, you're like, all is right, like Jesus, I want to give you everything. Well, that was Agnes. And so she left home and actually became a missionary. And she gave God everything that she had, everything that material that she owned. But after a while, as the years went on, things changed. 
She didn't feel as close. There were the fireworks with God had kind of vanished. And she wrote in her journal later, she said these words, where is my faith? Deep down there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God, how painful is this unknown pain. I have no faith. But yet, she still worked, she still served, but she struggled at this wall that did not seem to move. Well, such was the secret pain of Agnes, who is better known as Mother Teresa. And after her death, her letters, her letters and her journal entries, they were released and they stunned people. An atheist said that she had lost her faith. Other people said that she maybe had gotten into a deep depression. But what we do know today is that even so, at facing the wall, God was doing a mighty work in her and through her. And so as a physical wall, just like this picture, stops us from moving ahead, sometimes God stops us in our spiritual journey through a spiritual wall in order to radically transform us and to help us grow to that next step or next stage. And, and so because when we look at that diagram again, we see that between each stage of growth, there is going to be a wall. There's going to be a wall. And of course, most of us, in any kind of wall that we come across in our life, whether spiritually or maybe vocationally, of course, we would prefer a wall to do something like this picture shows. Right? Wouldn't we all love that? Like, just build it around us, right? I just want to grow through. This is a picture from Charleston, South Carolina, where I had a fortunate uh, opportunity to visit a couple weeks ago. But we know how this is not how that works. Uh, sometimes we're brought to the wall by circumstances, crises beyond our control, crises that turn our world upside down. Maybe the events of the news of the last few weeks and months, maybe a diagnosis, or maybe it's been a disillusioning church experience, honestly. Maybe just for you, there's just been not a single event, but maybe it's been just an unexplained difference in your experience of God. And I know I've been there. When I started out just feeling these spiritual highs and I can, can listen to God wherever and the worship was just amazing and then over time it just kind of changed and I didn't quite know what was happening. But when we hit that wall, we question ourselves, we question God, we question the church. A lot of times we long for what was in the past. We want to revisit those moments of fireworks and spiritual highs and we even think of dropping out completely. We discover for the first time that our faith doesn't appear to work. But what if that wall, what if that wall serves a different purpose? And a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to visit um, Longwood Gardens. I don't know, has anybody ever visited Longwood Gardens towards like Kennett Square, Philadelphia area? Um, beautiful place. They always have like the Christmas decorations up and the lights and things. You can go year round though. And they have that like, they have this like, greenhouse place, like a gigantic greenhouse that you can walk through. Well, did you know they have the most famous bathrooms in the entire country? You want to know why? Because this is what they look like. They have a wall of green. They have, I think, somewhere around like 2,000 different species of plants that they have growing on the outside of the bathroom walls. It's crazy. It's, I just had to walk through like up and down this little hallway and just look at these lush things that are growing, places that you wouldn't even think, right? The side of a bathroom entrance. 
And I think we, just reflecting on this, we see, though, that often the best growth occurs on the other side of the wall. The best growth occurs on the other side of the wall. And someone historically who experiences this, um, his name was St. John of the Cross. Maybe you've heard of him. He's written about the dark night of the soul about 500 years ago. And he saw the walls in our lives differently. He said that to grow requires the gift of receiving God's gift of what he called the dark night, or what we might call a wall. And that the wall is essential, essential for our maturing in Christ and becoming the people who God intends for us to be. Because it transforms our lives forever. Walls are great places to grow. So we're in this time um, in our story and actually in the, the life of the church, um, the kind of liturgical calendar, if you will, that's called Ascension Sunday. And so this is the day um, next week we're going to celebrate Pentecost Sunday. I hope you'll be here, by the way. It's going to be a great service. We're going to have baptisms. We're going to have a huge picnic outside afterwards. Make sure you wear red. Um, but we're not there yet. Ascension Sunday is a day that a lot of times in church we don't really talk about or celebrate, but um, it it occurs in the book of Acts in chapter 1 where I I believe that there's a wall that the disciples experience as this is happening before Jesus disappears from the disciples' sight. See, we have Peter, James, and John. We have Philip and Thomas, the ones who kind of made cameo appearances in the scriptures. We have one of the disciples named Bartholomew. Bartholomew. I want to do a series on Bartholomew because I can't even say it. Because we never really talk about him. He just kind of appears in these lists. We have the women. The women. By the way, the women. They're the ones that showed up at the tomb when all the guys had left. And then we have Mary the mother of Jesus, we have his brothers. And so in this moment, they're standing at a moment when everything is changing in their world. The world's changing. And so I think it was very different back then though, because back then there was political unrest. There were arguments about equality. There were people who were killing each other in the street. There were arguments about loyalty to national identity versus religion. There were people who were divided everywhere. And so the challenge comes for me to speak out about this very irrelevant context that we see in Acts chapter 1. Interesting, huh? But I want you to think about this. How the disciples, how we would come to experience the presence of God was changing as they met with Jesus in this place called the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a place of transition in the Bible. A place of transition. And you think about the symbolism here. The olives. Olives only become oil when they are crushed. And this happens over and over during these transitions. And you imagine the disciples at this point, their tears are barely dried from watching Jesus die. Let's talk about PTSD here, right? And it's a time in between, though. When Jesus has been resurrected, he appears to his disciples, he's with them, but we're told that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given to the church. Jesus, though, he was rebuilding people's faith through being with them personally, kind of personal embodied visitation, one-on-one and in groups around tables, but it's only been 40 days, and now, now he's about to leave them. You know, you felt like God left you, right? Maybe a few times this past year. Maybe something's changed in your life and you felt like, you know, God has left me, God has left my family, God has left the building. You know, that's the wall 
the wall, this place of uncertainty, this place of transition. But Jesus gives instructions for growing from this wall. So we're going to start off in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So this is Luke, by the way. This is part 2 of Luke's gospel. He wrote both of these. So in my former book, this is Luke speaking Theophilus, I wrote all about that all Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with waters, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause there. What does it take to grow from the wall? Well, I think the first thing Jesus says is to wait. To wait. You know, in desperate times, we crave quick fixes. We want to jump in and save everybody and fix everybody. We want quick ways of learning. But there's little surrender there. There's little pause there. And don't you realize that a lot of our spiritual growth isn't actually about learning, but remembering, taking the time to remember. Uh, you might recall in the book of First Simba, of the Lion King, remember who you are, says Simba's dad, Mufasa. Remember who you are. By the way, that's not in the Bible. But, but, but I think we can learn, right? is that a lot of our growth isn't in learning, but it's about remembering. And we need to take the time to do that, to pause and to wait. Jesus knows what is ahead, even if we don't. Imagine the disciples, when Jesus is talking here, he says, John baptized with water, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, what does that mean? They had absolutely no clue. No clue. They could not comprehend it. They had to wait. They had to wait for it. And let me say this, a waiting season is never a wasted season. We do it with our gardens and crops, right? right? It would be kind of stupid to plant some seeds and imagine, you know, two days later, just be there like, okay, it should be growing, right? You gotta wait for it. A waiting season is never a wasted season. So my question to you is, what would it look like, whatever wall that you're facing, what would it look like to trust in the slow work of God today? But then the story continues. Acts 1.6 says, Then they gathered around him and asked him. Let's just pause there. The second piece is gather. What does it take to grow from the wall? Then they gathered. Then they gathered. I love that. that I love what Luke says. He just says, then they gathered. They gathered. You believe that? This is a miracle in and of itself. Because not only had these disciples seen Jesus crucified on a cross and ran away, game over, we're scared for our lives, we're going to be next. But everybody was trying to figure out, okay, Jesus is appearing and he's showing up. Like, there's a great risk in gathering. They had scattered. They had scattered for so long. They scattered when he died. They remained scattered. And doesn't that feel like it sometimes? Doesn't it feel like your life, maybe your mind, even your priorities? I felt scattered. Do you feel scattered? Have you felt scattered? You're like, who can I trust? What's going on? What's it going to be like on the other side of this? But the remedy here, then they gathered. Then they gathered. That's what Luke says. Then they gathered. Even those who had scattered, Jesus is like, welcome back. 
Maybe that's you. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time or you felt far from God and then you gathered. Welcome back. That's what this is about. Then they, they gathered. There's room for all of us at the table. There's room in the heart of God and the kingdom of God, in the story that God is telling. But they needed to gather to receive the corrected picture of the kingdom of God. That was how the Holy Spirit wound up coming, is when they gathered. And you've probably heard this scripture before from Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Many people are familiar with that. You've heard that quoted. Well, uh, I think it was several weeks ago, probably a month or so ago, I shared a story about how when I was in seminary, I was serving at this church, and we had a Saturday 5 o'clock service that um, I was going to be able to kind of be in charge of and all that kind of thing. There was like 15 people that were there, and I was kind of disappointed at the time. Well, the only time that I ever heard that verse used was an excuse for bad attendance. <laughs> It's like, well, Pastor Chris, like, you know, Mary's sick, and this person, they're on vacation in Florida, and, uh, but you know where two or three are gathered, like, that's, that's wonderful. But then I kind of looked at things a little bit different. That left a taste in my mouth, admittedly, for a while. But then um, this thing called COVID happened, and um, I found myself, while I was serving at a, a church several, uh, I guess two years ago, um, I found myself sitting on the couch worshiping. And I live alone, sort of. Um, I live alone, and I looked and said, well, you know, if there's two or three, and I guess the virtual thing kind of counts, and I was doing the kind of typing online, uh, talking to people. Um, and then I looked, and I had the cat there. I had the cat sitting there. And I was like, well, God, I got to count the cat right now. So I'm like, hold hands with me, little kitty, because the Bible says if there are two or three, then we are good, right? <laughs> kind of puts things into perspective. But there was that time, though, that we missed gathering, that, that though we were worshiping together online, and this is not to discount online worship by any means, but there's something about being with others, that we need others. Because our, our, our instinct, especially when we're encountering a wall in life, our instinct is to wall ourselves off from everybody else. Or if we're unhappy with how things are going in our life, we just want to preserve and protect who we are and where we are. But there's power in gathering in a season of walls. You've experienced that. When maybe you've gone through a tough time and you're like, oh, I don't even want to go to church, or I don't want to go to my table group today, or I don't want to, I signed up to serve and I'm just not really interested, but you push yourself anyway. Aren't you glad you did? Like, there's very, very rare times that you come back and you're like, wow, well, that was a waste, right? It's like, no, that's exactly what I needed. I needed to gather. It's the power of they. And let me warn you, though, it's an imperfect they, they gathered. That we look at Peter, right? Peter's kind of messed up. He cut off a guy's ear, and he cusses out a girl at the campfire in less than two hours. <laughs> and it's not just Peter, though. I have news. We're an imperfect church. We're imperfect people, and I dare say I don't ever want it to be perfect because I'd rather have only imperfect people allowed here. But chances are, the longer you stick around with us, and those who have been here many years, you understand this, somebody's going to tick you off, the pastor's going to tick you off, you're going to find it easier not to engage, you're going to find it easier to create a wall, you're going to find it easier to not be known or not to connect 
But this gathered group did exactly the opposite of that. See, they gathered anyway. And I believe there were many times, and we see that even in the book of Acts and forward, the church was kind of messed up, but yet they gathered. They did not forsake gathering. And that's exactly where God's promise happens. Our faith grows sometimes a little bit at an individual level, but even greater at a collective level. When we're with and learning and challenging one another and asking questions and growing together and worshiping and serving together, it's about gathering. We need to gather, especially when you face a wall. But then the story continues. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Imagine this. They said, Lord, are you at the time, this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Great question, huh? He said to them, underline this if you're taking notes, it is not for you to know. It's not for you to know the, dates, the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. So encountering the wall, we have to unlearn. Unlearn. What does it take to grow? We have to unlearn. And the best thing Jesus says here, and I think this is for all of us who are control freaks and want things our way and want things laid out until the end of time, Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Somebody needs to hear that. It's not for you to know. We all want to get to the part you're going to receive power, you're going to have this amazing future up ahead, but there's a sense of unknown here. That's the space. There's a sense of relearning and unlearning. And many of us, well, we all have an experience and a view of God that has been shaped by our past experiences and what we've learned, maybe read, what we've encountered in life. But the problem is that learning is about more than just adding knowledge to our brains. Half of spiritual growth is learning what we don't know, but the other half is unlearning what we do know. The disciples, they had a picture who, who they thought Jesus was and what his kingdom was about. And yet they had to be corrected. They had to take a, a change in lanes. They had to ha- unlearn and relearn this picture of this greater purpose that Jesus had for them. I think it's kind of like missing an exit on a highway, Right? That if you ever missed your exit, you got distracted or, you know, you weren't listening to your GPS or whatever it was, and you go down and you miss the exit, what happens, right, right? It's like next five miles till the next exit to, like, turn around and get off. You got to drive down and you got to double back. And so every mile you go in the wrong direction becomes a two-mile error. And it's hard. And unfortunately, unlearning is kind of like that. It's twice as hard as learning. It takes curiosity to learn. It takes courage to unlearn. Learning requires humility to admit what you don't know today. But unlearning requires the integrity to admit that you were wrong yesterday. See, Jesus said things like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. He does this over and over and over again. I think because he realized his disciples could be imprisoned by what they thought they knew. A part of our faith 
means that we have to rewire our brain, renew our minds. There was a study that was done at the National Institute of Mental Health where they asked subjects to perform a kind of simple motor task, basically this kind of finger tapping exercise. And so they uh, allowed them to do this and they had an MRI hooked up to watch their brain activation. And so after they did that initial study, they did a kind of a scan of the MRI to see their brain waves. And then they told them to practice that very activity of that tapping over four weeks, every single day. And then they brought them back and they scanned their brain again. What's interesting was that the comparison between MRIs showed that the area of the brain had actually expanded and recruited new nerve cells. This is in adults in new nerve cells and rewired their brains so that they would be more efficient at performing that activity. And I think when it comes to unlearning and relearning, that's what happens when we study scripture. That's what happens when we study scripture. We're upgrading our brains by kind of downloading the mind of Christ. Instead of going off of what we've heard said or heard that televangelist on the TV or this person shared with us or that article, we're rewiring our brains and upgrading and learning the, the mind of Christ. Some of us need to unlearn things, and I'm going to challenge some people here. Everything happens for a reason. Mm -mm. We're going to talk about that a little bit later this summer, so hang on for that. God never gives you more than you can handle. <clears throat> Sorry. These are some things that culturally we hear all the time, and yet, yet it requires us unlearning and exploring for ourselves. You know, what does Scripture actually say? See, in Acts 1.8, we're told that Jesus says, you will receive power, but Jesus is telling them, you're going to receive power. They're thinking swords and fighting, and we're going to win these guys. And Jesus is like, no, we're going to see, you're going to receive power in a totally different way. When you're huddled in an upper room, when you're crowded together, and you have no weapons and nothing to go against anybody. But guess what? Through you, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the world. We need to release our control, our need to control or understanding everything God does. We need to realize that God has a sense of mystery about God. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing in the world, I know for me, to release our, my death grip on the plans that I have for God but it starts with unlearning. But then the last piece here, verses 10 to 11. So Jesus, poof, appears, disappears into the sky. The disciples, they're looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And what did they say? Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I think the last piece is don't stand there. See, waiting sometimes we think is sitting on the couch, twiddling our thumbs, eating bonbons, and watching the soaps until, until whenever, right? But he's talking about an active waiting, an active waiting. And if you go to the spot that it said that the ascension actually occurred, um, it's the highest point of the Mount of Olives. You'll, um, if you visited that today, there's actually a hospital that is built there. It's called Augusta Victoria Hospital. And in that hospital, uh, in the 19th century, there was a mosaic that was constructed of the ascension. And it looks like this. It's a little bit hard to see. But if you look closely, you see the angels that are appearing there. They're not their eyes are not looking to Jesus, but they're looking out. 
to the disciples, as if to say, what are y'all doing? Like, why are y'all hanging out here? Like, he's, he's, he's gone, and we're looking at you now. That why do you stand here looking in the sky? And it's interesting, in the scripture, the word stand, it's the Greek word histemi. It's in your notes if you want to study that kind of stuff. But it means literally to take a, take a stand and to do nothing. To take a stand and to do nothing. See, there's too many Christians, I believe, that are marking time for Jesus to return. That just like the disciples saying, well, when are you going to kind of finish things up, Jesus? But the wall we encounter is actually a place of active waiting. That every time that we shift in a place of transition in our lives from one stage to another, or maybe one mode of leadership to another, or one position to another, or one age to another, there's room for us to adapt and explore and to take a chance. Instead of just standing there and waiting, there's a grace for adaptation. There's a grace for adapting. Don't just stand there. Adapt. Don't stop. Be part of something. Join something. That's part of, of what God is wanting to do in our community and in our lives. Don't just stand there. Because the good news here, guys, is that there is fruit found on the other side of the wall. That from each of these four areas, when we wait, we realize on the other side of the wall that we develop a deeper ability to wait on God. Right? They say don't pray for patience because... You know what's coming. It kind of stretches you. But that the, we develop that deeper ability to wait on God's timing instead of our time. We release our death grasp on our plans and what we want God to do for us. Then when we gather, we develop a greater level of grace for each other. It's true that the amount of time that you spend with a group of people, that you're, the grace that you show them and they show you actually grows over time in, in conjunction with the amount of time that you spend together. The less time and the less part of gathering, the more that you're, that you're on your own, the less grace that we often have. It's easier to point the finger at somebody you don't know than somebody that you do. But on the other side, there's also a greater appreciation for that mystery, for that holy unknowing for knowing and unlearning maybe the things that, that we need to explore more, that we've been relying on in our faith, but then there's also, we develop a greater capacity to adapt. That we don't just stand there, but we adapt, and we know and be able to discern what to do. So wrapping all things up here, walls can be great places to grow. The wall you're facing, the wall you will face, the wall somebody in your life is facing or questioning. And ultimately, let, let me say this, that God is the one who moves us through the wall. And that comes with mystery. There's a lot that we don't understand about the ways of God, and we have to be okay with that. But yet there are rich treasures to be found in the wall. Just as St. John found and Mother Teresa found, where our image and our understanding of God is traumatically transformed, and so are we. That the God that we've had in a box, the wall blows open the box and we begin to see God for the amazing, mighty, loving, good God that he is. Who may be different than what we once thought. But we also may realize that we are closer than what we once thought. The wall is a perfect place, best place, a great place for you to grow. But the question is, will you?